evening, Isaiah chapter 32, and uh, we'll pray and begin right in the exposition of God's Word. Father, we thank you once again that we have the opportunity to gather together to open your Word and to hear from you. Lord, I just ask you right now that you would uh, help our minds to be clear, help our hearts to be receptive to this truth, that you would uh, speak to us tonight from your word. May we recognize it as your holy word. May we be in obedience to it. If there's something in our lives not lining up with your word, I pray that we would confess and repent. Lord, we do ask you to be with the schools that are going back to school, the children, the teachers, all the administration, all the staff. We ask you to give them wisdom. We pray that you would protect them. Lord, we pray for our country, our leaders, that you would uh, work in and through them, that they would seek your counsel, your will on decisions made. And uh, Lord, we, we just we need you desperately. Father, I pray for your help. I ask you, Lord, I feel inadequate to stand before you and teach. And I pray, God, that you would just give me strength, give me a clear mind and understanding of what you've given me, and help me to articulate these truths. Lord, I know and I acknowledge publicly I cannot do this without you. We pray for those who are on our list of prayers and our um, Everyone that has a need, we prayed for earlier that we know of. And Lord, we had an unspoken request presented to us, and you know that need. We pray that you would just so work in every situation. And again, we love you, and uh, I pray that you would, again, do something only you can do in and through Shawnee Hills Baptist Church for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 32, and I must confess I have been excited to get to 32. I, I studied ahead and I knew what was coming, and I love to talk about the kingdom. I love to talk about the king, and uh, it is phenomenal. I have friends who are good, good men who differ. Sometimes some people do not believe that there is an actual millennial kingdom in which Christ will rule and reign upon this earth. They're what they call a uh, millennial. They just don't believe the kingdom will happen. And I think that's unfortunate for them. Um, I love them. They're good people. But I am so excited about the kingdom. And I, but most importantly, I'm excited about the king. And I hope you are. And as we work through this text, uh, he is the hero of the story. He's always the hero of the story. It's always about Jesus. It's never about us. It's always about Jesus Christ. And the number one problem we're facing in our churches today is that we have dethroned the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we make church more about us, we make everything about us, rather than about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I challenge you tonight, see the King in all of His glory, in all of His beauty in this text. Verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, uh, tonight's message is entitled, The Reign of the Righteous King. The Reign of the Righteous King. Verse 32, or excuse me, chapter 32, verses 1 through 8, we have an expectation of the righteous King. Read with me verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest. 
as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in the weary land. The eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the ears of those who hear will listen. Also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammers, stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. The foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful. For the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. Also, the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But a generous man devises generous things, and generosity, and by generosity he shall stand. There has always been, since the inception of the nation of Israel, they're calling out, there has always been a faithful remnant that have looked for the promised Messiah. The promised Messiah is the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Often, though, Israel looked for Christ in their day to solve their political dilemma. They wanted the Messiah to come and to give, make them the rightful people of God that they thought they should be, to be the kingdom that everyone looked at, the nation that everyone looked up to. They didn't understand that the literal kingdom where Christ would rule and reign, was different than their political aspirations. And it's, it's clear if you study through the Scriptures and you let the Word of God speak for itself, you can see this repeatedly, how they wanted their kingdom now. When Jesus rides in uh, and they're waving the palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna! and all of that, they're excited because they believe that Jesus is coming literally into Jerusalem right then and there to deliver them from oppression and set them up as the kingdom that everyone would aspire to be. They didn't understand why he was coming and what he was going to do. So the prophet Isaiah, he talks of this king and this reign of righteousness. Now there are some who like to interpret that this king that they're talking about in the reign of righteousness was during Hezekiah's reign. I don't believe that because many of these things have not been fulfilled. And really the test of whether a prophecy is true or not is if it comes true. I know it sounds redundant, but that's the truth. I mean, that's the one thing that if a prophet spoke a prophecy, it would come true. And so Isaiah talks of this king who will reign in righteousness. Well, it couldn't be Hezekiah, because if you know, and we'll get later into the book of Isaiah, and also you can read it back in the book of Kings, you'll find out that Hezekiah is confronted by the prophet, and the prophet says, God says he's going to kill you. This is my, my paraphrase here. God's going to kill you. And Hezekiah goes into his chamber, and he shuts the door, and he lies on his bed, and he looks to the wall, and he cries out to God, and God sends Isaiah back and he says, Isaiah, go tell the prophet, I've heard your prayers. 
I have seen your tears. And I'm going to add to your life 15 years. I love that story. Wonderful story. But what brought God to him was his attitude and his sin. So it couldn't be his reigning in righteous. There's only one king that will truly reign in all righteousness. And that's Jesus Christ. Every other king has been fallible. Every other king is a sinner. Every other king has sinned. But Jesus, in Jesus, there is no sin whatsoever. So, we have this expectation by Israel. All throughout, if you read through the, the minor prophets, if you read through the major prophets, you will see an expectation of the Messiah. God's people expected the Messiah to come. They just didn't understand how he would come. They didn't understand why he would come in the way he did. They missed it. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. So they did not clearly understand and see the picture. Now, let's look at this expectation. Isaiah says that this kingdom that comes and this king of righteousness, it's going to be a special time. Special time. There's going to be results of this righteous reign. Now, he is prophesying this before it happens. First of all, he says that government will be characterized by righteousness and justice. Look at verse 2. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind. Let's go back to verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. What is he saying there? He is saying that the government, the princes that rule underneath the king, they will rule with characterized their rule will be characterized by righteousness and justice. Now, I'm not being political, I'm being honest with you. There has never been a righteous government in the United States of America. It doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat or Independent. It does not matter. If man is leading, then it's not going to be righteous. But in the day when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, the government, and this is why it's interesting that we understand this, you and I as believers... We're not going to be floating in the kingdom, you know, in robes with a halo, playing harp and eating grapes floating on clouds. We are going to be in places or positions of responsibility. Jesus' operating principle is, if you're faithful in a little, I will make you ruler of much. That's why it's important that we as believers serve the Lord. Because what you do now determines what you do in the kingdom. If you're faithful now, you'll be rewarded with more responsibility in the kingdom. And people tell me this all the time. Well, Pastor, really, to be honest with you, I don't care just as long as I'm there. That will not suffice when you see Jesus Christ face to face. That will not even enter your mind. That is an arrogant statement here. You will totally, I will totally be humbled at the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. When our faith ends in sight, we will be humbled. There's this expectation that the government will be characterized by righteousness and justice. Secondly, 
the removal of all blindness and of all hardening. Look at, um, let me just read verses 2 and following. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind. In other words, man will be a place of refuge, protection. And a cover from the tempest. As rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. You know that hymn, right? Where do you think they got that hymn? Just saying. It's in the Bible. Okay. You all know that hymn, right? I'm not going to sing it. The eyes, now listen, look at verse 3. The eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the ears of those who hear will listen. Also, the heart of the rash will understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. A few weeks or longer than a few weeks ago in Romans, in our study of Romans, when we came to Romans chapter 11, 9 through 11, we saw God has a future for Israel. And in that study, we found that God himself blinded Israel in part, and he opened the door and grafted us in, Gentiles, as a wild olive branch, to make them jealous, to lead them to repentance. The prophet says in that day there's an expectation that the eyes, all of the blindness will be removed and all of the hard of hearing will be removed. They will see Jesus Christ for who he is. Now that's not talking about if you've got a hearing aid, you're touched and you, you don't have to wear your hearing aid or if you don't have to wear glasses or anything. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual. That blindness that Israel has will be removed and the hearing, will, the heart of hearing will be taken care of. That is a result of the righteous reign of Christ. And the, the Israeli people expect this. It's an expectation. Thirdly, a truthful evaluation of mankind. Now, this is interesting because... In verse 5, he says this, The foolish person will no longer be called generous. The Bible teaches that we live in a day now in which man calls good evil and evil good. And it will be that way until the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in which an, an, a faithful evaluation of man, foolish people will be evaluated as foolish and those who who are generous or those who are not foolish, but those who are righteous will be called righteous. The world won't look at the righteous and call them foolish. In his kingdom, the righteous will be known as righteous and the foolish will be known as foolish. It will be, a, it will be refreshing. Has anyone here ever watched Doc Martin on PBS? I love that show, and I, I can't help it, but I love him because he's so brutally honest. He's examining someone, and she's going on, and he's like, stop talking. And I thought, oh, to be able to say some of that sometimes. But, you know, it's refreshing, isn't it, when you're around someone who just actually speaks the truth and doesn't sugarcoat it and doesn't, I mean, they just say the truth. It's, it's refreshing. We're drawn to people like that. In society, in the worldview not a Christian worldview, but a secular worldview wants to uh, demonize everything that's right and good 
And everything that's evil, they want to spiritualize. Not so in the kingdom of our Savior. And Isaiah comes to the people and he lays this out that this is a reasonable expectation of the righteous reign of Christ. You see, everything that's messed up in this world will only be made when Christ, right when Christ is on his throne physically on this earth. But we, the church, we fight the battle the wrong way, guys. We're not going to win the battle by arguing politics. We're not going to win the battle by picketing and being bullies and doing all that. We're going to win the battle one soul at a time. And that is why the devil and all of the demons of the world try so hard and are very effective at limiting our witness for Christ. I mean, the demons don't mind you going to church and singing and giving. They don't mind that. But you set out and start on purpose trying to share the gospel with men and women, boys and girls, and the demons will attack every, every way possible. You know why? Because if you tell that person, that person might believe in the gospel and be saved. There's an expectation of the righteous king ruling and reigning in righteousness. All of his government will be characterized by righteousness and justice. The blinders will be removed. They will spiritually hear the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I've often thought, and I know we're human, how could they see him do those miracles and still not believe him? It blows my mind. And I don't have an explanation for that. And I know that I'm on this side of the cross and I have the completed canon of scriptures. I can read the Bible and I can see their mistakes and I can be critical of their mistakes. But it always, it always bothered me. How could they see but not see? How could they hear what he's saying but not hear? And then we perhaps still do it today, don't we? When it comes to the truth of his word. Look at verse 6. For the foolish person will speak foolishness. His heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fall. Also the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words. Even when the needy speaks justice, but a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. It's going to be a faithful evaluation. We have in the scripture taught for us that there's going to be a separation of the sheep and goats. It's clearly, all the Bible lines up and it clearly fits together beautifully. And there is this expectation of the coming king and his reign and rule of righteousness. But before that happens, before that happens, judgment and tribulation have to come. Now, in verse number 9, Isaiah alternates between the coming near judgment of Assyria coming upon them, and he goes back and forth with the 
uh, later, more severe judgment of end times, the tribulation period. Now you say, well, how do you get that? Well, we do it in, in our movies today. How many of you have ever been watching a movie and they start off in the future and then they come back to the present to tell the story? I mean, it happens all the time. You've read a book like that before. It reminds me of the little fella. He was reading a book and he was in his room and he was shouting and screaming. And the mother went in there and said, son, what are you doing? And he was sitting in there saying, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You just wait. You're going to get it. And he said, she said, what are you talking about? She said, well, this bad guy's winning, and I couldn't handle it. So I went to the end of the book, and I saw that the good guy wins. So he came back, and he was telling the bad guy, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And you know what? I've read the end of the book. We're going to win, and the bad guy's going to get it. And there's a judgment that's coming. I, I quote, Arnold uh, Frutenbaum says this in his uh, commentary on Isaiah, God has every intention of providing a final restoration to Israel, but not before judgment is meted out for sin. God is going to judge the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. Just let me throw a little bit of this, and I'll get into it in just a moment. Throw a little bit of context here, other Bible in, so you understand. The man of sin in Israel, after the rapture of the church, the man of sin in Israel are going to enter into a covenant. He's going to let them worship in the temple, so he says, and they're going to have this covenant. It's a false covenant. Three and one half years into that covenant, he is going to walk into the temple, and he is going to declare and demand that everyone worship him on the throne. He's going to break that covenant. It's a false covenant, and he is going to break it. Verse 9 says this, Rise up, you women who are at ease. Why are the women at ease? They're at ease because they have a covenant with the, the, the uh, Antichrist and they think that he is going to protect them and because they have this covenant that they're fine. There's a false sense of security. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a year and some days, you will be troubled, you complacent women. Now, some people have differing views on this. Some people think that the Assyrian invasion is what he's talking about. I think it's more severe because you'll see in just a moment, I think he is pointing more towards the tribulation period. And the reason is, we know, we know Bible teaches that before his millennial kingdom comes upon this earth, the tribulation period has to come. Now, there are people that do not believe that. There are some people that believe the tribulation period, uh, that he will come back halfway in the tribulation period. They won't have a rapture, you know, at the beginning. We believe the rapture will happen, then the tribulation period starts. There are some people that believe that uh, the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation period. There are some people that believe there is no such thing as a rapture. There are people that believe all kinds of things. It doesn't matter what you believe, but it's what the Word says. And the Bible says this, that they're going to be in a place of false... Security. Even in Assyria, when Assyria comes upon them, they were in a place of false security. Remember, they had made a, a covenant with Egypt. So even if he's talking about Assyria, it still shadows and points to the tribulation period. Notice this. For the vintage will fail, the gathering will not come, tremble you women who are at ease, be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, make yourselves bare, 
and gird sack, sackcloth on, on your waist. What's this sackcloth? Sackcloth and ashes was a sign of mourning. Why are they mourning? They're mourning because they thought they had security. They put their trust in the Antichrist rather than in the real Christ. And as a result, their false sense of security is over. What follows that? Devastation. Look at verse 12. People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. On the land of my people will come thorns and briars. Yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. What's the joyous city? Jerusalem. It's going to come upon Jerusalem as well. Because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Devastation is going to happen. Completely desolate. Now, now you understand why Isaiah was not real popular, right? He's standing there telling these people, listen, there's going to be a day when we have a righteous king ruling. But before then, you're going to lose it all. And you women who think you're safe, over. It's done. Devastation. Your, everything will be touched. Your health will be touched. Your property will be touched. Nothing will be left untouched. It will be devastating. But you know what? The kingdom begins by an outpouring of the Spirit on Israel. And that's what verse 15 tells us. The kingdom begins by an outpouring of the Spirit on Israel. You see, the regeneration of Israel will come but it will come by means of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. How long is the devastation going to last? Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. When does that happen? When the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. If you were to... And we don't have time to go there, but if you were to go to the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 1, he follows the same outline as does Isaiah. In chapter 1, he describes the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period. The day of Jehovah, Yahweh. Chapter 2, he, judgment is described that will be poured out on this time and it will be absolutely devastating. But then he says this. In chapter 2 and verse 28, and I read from the Word of God, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Did you notice what he said? It shall come to pass when? Afterward. After what? After the tribulation period. And he will pour out all his flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And we know in Acts, the day of Pentecost, they quoted this verse on that day. In the context, in this passage of Scripture, he is talking about Israel. We won't have the Spirit poured out on us because we will be already with the Lord 
in heaven. We would already be raptured out. Amen. So he's talking about Israel. Israel who rejected. Israel who turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be judged. That faithful remnant will remain faithful. The Spirit will be poured out on them. On all flesh. Why? Because it's that faithful remnant. Remember in Romans, all Israel will be saved. Who's Israel? Israel are those who are regenerated by the Spirit, even though they're Jews. There's a faithful remnant. He has protected all the way from Abraham. He said he would all the way until this time. Then look at verse 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in a quiet resting places. Though hail comes down on the forest, the city is brought low in humiliation. Blessed are you who sow beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. So there are, there are some uh, four results of this pouring out of the Spirit and the righteous and the uh, righteous reign of Christ. Four results. Number one, righteousness and justice will rule the land. Verse 16, then justice will dwell in the wilderness. True righteousness and justice upon this earth will not happen until Jesus Christ is upon his throne. It doesn't matter who's now in the office, in Congress, it doesn't matter all that. There will always be evil and unrighteousness. Always. Until that day. Secondly, in verses 17 and 18, the second result will be peace. Israel has not, has not, from the time of its inception, has not had a lasting moment's peace. They've always had enemies. They've always sleep under the threat of rocket attacks, air raids, etc. Not so in the kingdom. They will have peace. And may I ask you, can you put a price on peace? You surely cannot. You surely cannot. Verse 17, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. It's only in the kingdom that Israel will have assurance. That they will have quietness. Now you understand why I love the kingdom so much, right? It's everything this world is not. Thirdly, the third result, verse 19, destruction of Israel's enemies. Though hail comes down on the forest and the city is brought low in humiliation, blessed are you who sow beside all waters. There is a promise that Israel's enemies will be wiped off the face 
of the map, and it will happen before, right at the time of his kingdom, and they will not have to worry about their enemies any longer. They will not have to sleep under the iron dome. They will not have to sleep under the threat. They can rest in the promises of God. And then lastly, they will have material blessings. Blessed are you who sow beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. The ox and the donkey, in the day of Bible times, they were animals that were used for working purposes. What did they work for? Why did they do that? Why did they transport? Why did they farm? Sustenance, to live, to have material blessings. When I was in Israel, and we went into the... uh, the church of the nativity. It is so ornate. It is so beautiful. And you know you're not in a Baptist church, right? I mean, I mean, it is beyond. I mean, they spare no expense. And believe it or not, going in, dude, I had to duck down to go in the door. Just so you know. Um, And there are many differing views on why that is. Some believe that it's a humbling of yourself as you go in. I, uh, when I was there, though, I I was taken back how they spared no expense at this building. That, for all intents purposes, is not eternal. That's not going to last. That's going to be destroyed probably during the tribulation period. I come to Revelation, and I study in Revelation of the new heaven and the new earth, the new heavenly city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the sky. And what we know about it is, is wonderful. And you have to understand, this is John trying to explain to us 12 gates, pearly gates, not a bunch of little pearls, one big pearl per gate. And the foundation stones are so brightly shining and the streets that are paved with gold. You know what I think? I'm standing in this chapel or this uh, church of the nativity and I'm looking at all this ornate stuff. And the thought comes to my mind, you ain't seen nothing yet. And we have such a limited view of heaven because we're not supposed to worship heaven. We're supposed to worship Christ. But the things that we count dear here are wall and street. That's what they are, building materials. And I tell you, there is nothing on the face of this earth right now that even comes close to the beauty of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we lose such, such, we lose, we get so wrapped up in the things of the world today that we don't think of eternal things. This is exactly why Paul said, set your affection on things above, not on the earth. Jesus said, you know, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth where rust and moth destroy. Everything now and up to the millennial kingdom 
pales, and I don't even have the words to choose in comparison to the kingdom of our Savior Jesus Christ. Everything. And so, I think Isaiah getting this, he was able, those 40-some years that he prophesied, he was able, with anticipation and with hope, he was able to long for the kingdom. And I think we as a church family, we need to start longing for the kingdom of our Savior Jesus Christ. Is that not what we pray? Thy kingdom come. Is that not what it means in Revelation? Even so, come quickly. I think we need to redirect our hearts. Because where our hearts, where our hearts are, that's where our treasure is. And I think that we need to see in all the beautiful tapestries and all of the peace and all of the righteousness and all of the things that's in the kingdom, the most beautiful thing about the kingdom is the king. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. That's why we need to return to making everything about Jesus. Everything. Not about numbers, not about what we have, not about this, not about that. About the King. Lord Jesus. Our King. May you contemplate on His goodness this week. May you daily consider the King. And may you truly long, and may I truly long, for His kingdom to come. Father, we thank you.